Acts chapter 2, right after Pentecost. So this is, this is key critical time. You remember, Pentecost happens, the Spirit descends, and they move out of the upper room. They go, and Peter now stands up, and he preaches a sermon. And then there is a report given here by Acts. Remember, Luke is the writer of Acts. So Luke is reporting now something that uh, is, is sort of behind the scenes right after the ser- sermon. And notice what he says here. And, this is verse 42 of chapter 2 of Acts. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would bless this reading of your holy word so that we might be holy as you are holy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we looked at a pericope, which is just a short passage of scripture in the Gospel of Luke. And it was a very unique little story in the Gospel of Luke of Jesus at 12 years old. And as a pubescent boy, which is just very interesting to think about, nonetheless about God having to take on puberty, which he does. He does. And at 12 years old, where is he? He's in the temple. He's at his father's house, he tells them. And uh, where is his father's house now? We looked at, and the temple now is our body. But the Father's house is His church. It's Christ's body. And His body is found all over the world in many different languages today, in many different cultures, and with many different people, and yet one head who is Christ. One body, and we are truly in this sense then the hands and feet of Christ. I... um. I want to start here, and it's, with a, it's a, with a quote that may not make any sense to what, where we're starting, but uh, I just like the quote so much I stuck it in there. All right? It's from Henry Ford, uh, who you may know and recognize, uh, connected to the Ford Company too. Uh, he says this, chop your own wood and it'll warm you twice. Okay? Now, some things, what I want to say is some things are better when you do them. Uh, your walk with Jesus and your walk with others is one of those things that can't be outsourced. Uh, we live in a culture where we outsource everything. I, I was just thinking this past week, you know, like it, it's just, it's really unfathomable how much we really outsource. And, you know, because, I, I, you know, I'm kind of reading about Napoleon right now. And so, like, it's a different time. And, you know, there's still kings around. And, 
you know, queens and royalty. And when royalty walks in, everybody's serving them. And, and I thought, man, that's just a really interesting time. And then, I, and then it just shocked me to think in the same way that the king would have been paying for other people to serve him and gather food and do all this. That's exactly what we do every time we go to a fast food restaurant or a nicer restaurant than that. Or when we go to Publix or Kroger, we're paying someone to take a field somewhere and grow some things and gather those things and wash those things and present those things to us so that we have to do the laborious, I know, task of grocery shopping. And we get annoyed by that. We outsource much of our food, our clothing. I mean, I dare say there's probably no one that made their own clothing in here today. You you paid somebody to make clothes for you. It's just, so anyway, it's, it's, it's a thought. However, don't get so used to outsourcing things that you think you can outsource your relationship with Jesus. You cannot. Or that you might think you can outsource your relationship to the poor. Or disenfranchised. Or the, quote, least of these. Our brothers and sisters. No, we don't want to be a church at Harvest Point where people can think they can come and feel good about themselves because we're doing something good as a church. That's fine to participate in that way. But at some point, you've got to love people. You have to serve people. And it's okay to come and, and be in our community. And we, you know, this is an outpost of the kingdom, right? So there's, there's people that just came in out of the wilderness. And people are like, so-and-so, they, they did this the other day at church. And they missed, you know what? We've got people here that actually aren't saved. They've not met Christ in a saving way yet. Some of them don't know it. Some of them do know it. You know what? They're still in our community. This is a hospital. This is not for everybody who is well. This place is for people who are sick. So you're going to bump into uh, people who don't always act like you want them to or say the things or even have the right disposition that you like or that I like. And I'll be first to say I'm probably the chief of those for some of you. But church is not a place where we simply outsource our relationship to Jesus or outsource our relationship to others. It instead is a, it should be a, a proving ground, a testing ground. If you can do it to each other in here, where we're all on the same page, then that helps you go and do it to people who are not on the same page with you in this battle against the enemy. For we do not, do we, wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, diabolical forces in the air. And aren't there a lot of things in our airwaves, TV-wise, Internet-wise, that are against us? That keep us down. That condemn us and even damn us. God help us to overcome the evil. We must... Love God, and we must love one another. These are the two cardinal virtues and commandments that sum up the entire Bible. 
the entire thing. So let's chop our wood, forge our own path with Jesus, for we will be warmed twice by the Holy Spirit, if you will. Let me change up the quote a bit when we do that. If you come here and you say, man, I really felt the presence of the Lord today. That's the first warming, but the second must happen in here. In your own life. In times, maybe in your vehicle where you're overwhelmed by God's goodness. The tears start coming. The prayers start flowing. Or maybe in your own home, times of private worship. Again, we must not think this is the only place to worship. This is a place of worship. But we must scatter to our own homes and workplaces and places where we play and we must worship and serve others. Until we meet Jesus himself face to face. Which I've just, again, been, there's been a lot of death recently in, uh, in people that we know and personally. And... Um, it reminds you that you're actually going to see him face to face. When people call on the name of Jesus, they use his name in derogatory words, ways. But, you know, the name of Jesus is something you don't want to get wrong. You can call me things behind my back. You can call your boss things behind his back or her back. But you're going to have to meet Jesus face to face one day. And he knows everything we've done and said and in here believed. So, the scripture calls us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. And so, you haven't today, obviously, and you probably don't in your life, but we asked the question last week, where would Jesus be found? He'd be found in the temple, but he doesn't stay in the temple. He moves out from there and goes to others. And that's really where I want to pick up here in Acts chapter 2. I ran across a scripture verse that impacted me uh, just in its own context. Exodus thirty-three thirteen says, Show me now your way that I may know you. And there is a way to know God. God, and this is just so wonderful. Every time I teach world religions, this is the most wonderful thing about Christianity is God does not remain hidden. Instead, he wants to be known and truly when we see it, he's actually, when we think we're in pursuit of him, he's in hot pursuit of us is what we find when we finally find him. He's been looking for us the whole time. We're the ones who are stuck in a cell of darkness, not him. He has made himself known and is readily available to our call. He says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. So, what is his way? Well, I want to summarize it in sort of three easy to remember things that really are based straight from Acts 2. Uh, if, if you notice here, just if we were to break down further Acts chapter 2, you've got 
that they were committed to the apostles' teaching, which is doctrine. It's right thinking. It's right, you know, orthodoxy, right? So orthodoxy, everybody gets, you know, what is that exactly? Well, ortho, right? It means right. It's like orthopedics, right bones, orthodontics, right teeth, uh, orthodoxy, right doctrine. What is right doctrine? It's doctrine that is committed to the apostles' teaching. In other words, those who knew Jesus personally and then wrote about that, that we continue to believe in, which is truly the scriptures. It's scriptural Christianity. Uh, Then he says, look, the fellowship. And the fellowship. So it was an organized thing. It wasn't just in general, yeah, you fellowship with anybody, that's considered the fellowship. No, no, no. It's actually Christian fellowship. He does the same thing here to the breaking of bread, which is representative of communion. And then the prayers, not just prayers, but the prayers, which are actually organized prayers more than likely. Prayers that were read, just like we do when we say the Lord's Prayer together or when we recite the Creed together. Again, we don't do what we do here at Harvest Point uh, haphazardly. Everything is thought through and designed for worship, in particular, biblical worship. This is why at the end of our sermon, uh, our service, every, every time I read a prayer, which is one of the prayers. And these prayers that I read have been being said for hundreds of years. They're not some cheap prayer that I wrote this morning. Instead... They've stood the test of time. And this is indicated here through the prayers. And even Paul, in his writings, has prayers that are offered that we can pray. And so, he then goes into signs and wonders and all these things in common together. And then he says, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. And this is where we come down to grouping together or banding together, as you've heard recently coming from this pulpit, uh, banding together, which are very Wesleyan, Methodist ideas. In other words, what really was the Great Awakening in England? How did that happen? Because when you look at their culture, there was more drunkenness and possibly sexual immorality, maybe, ...than we have today in our culture. And yet, there was a great awakening... ...and many, many, many came to Christ. There was a great revival that started... ...and it lasted over a hundred years. It's the longest revival ever recorded. How was that accomplished? It wasn't through just coming to church... ...on Sunday. It was because Wesley was a genius... ...at grouping people together... ...in what he called societies... ...we would call them small groups... ...and then bands... ...which are intensive... Groups of two to three, possibly four, that ask each other very serious questions about their discipleship. And those were the engine. That was the engine. Those meetings, those groupings of people were the engine that powered the revival and changed the landscape of England. And I believe that God wants to do it again. He wants to wake us up. We have more resources than they did at that time. 
especially here in our area, and God wants to wake up the sleeping giant in order to impact the world. And so the three things that I have uh, are these three. God calls us to gather, to scatter, and to matter. Gathering for worship, scattering into groups, and mattering, yes, that's a word, by the way, to the community, to the city. Gathering, looks like you got that down. Good job. Um, You know, is just simply coming to worship Jesus with believers on Resurrection Sunday, which is every Sunday that rolls around. You know, I mean, I've, uh, I've been going to church for 36 years. And uh, I started going before I even knew to go uh, or wanted to go. And uh, although I slept through some of that and maybe all of those years uh, and even some of my own father's sermons over the years, um, Sunday is ingrained in me and in my family now as a day where the primary thing that we do is gather up with other believers, no matter what country I'm in, no matter what city I'm in, Sunday you'll find me with God's people worshiping the living, risen Christ. And what a beautiful, I mean, we, you know, even when we go on vacation, it's, it's almost like if it ever falls on a Sunday, you know, we don't take a whole lot, but, but if it ever falls on a Sunday... You know, we go check out a new church. That's, it's a fantastic thing for us because we, we rarely get that experience of coming in and being able to be one of the participants and have an old dad around the whole time. But Sunday for us is a pillar of the beginning of our week to worship and gather with God's people. Now, the, but here's, here's where the, the difficult in our culture part comes. And it's difficult because... I understand the time restraints. I understand our culture is very different. And and, and unfortunately, we live in an ever-growing individualistic society. You've felt it. I've felt it. These things don't help us connect with each other truly. They probably are better at helping us disconnect from real relationships. We're actually more scared today than ever before to talk to people, to share things with people. We're actually very fearful of this. I, I see it at the college level. I, I come into class and it's dead quiet. Everybody's scared to talk to each other. There, it's, it's, like this un, it's like this fear or anxiety that just is in us because we're not used to really sitting down and speaking with another human being on a long-term scale in a conversation. It's instead quipped out in so many words on Twitter or through text message now. And we speak that way. We don't even understand how to dialogue anymore, I'm afraid. Some of us. Some of us. One thing that can help us relate to others and love others is to actually sit down and talk. Sit down and listen. Sit down and act. All kinds of groups. I'm not talking about some self-help group that you go to and everybody's, you know, just crying up in there and it says, and you sit down on the couch, let's hear your whole story. That's not what small group is. There are active groups. There's some people in this room that every month they go do a service project 
without anybody telling them to do so. That's somebody grouping up with other believers to get something done. That's what we're, I don't want you to limit in your head, oh yeah, I got to go to one of the church ordained small groups. Look, if you have some friends and they are Christian believers, go meet with them. Sit down with them. Look them in the eyeballs. Say, how are you doing? Really? Let's not, let's get beyond the, pretty good, I'm fine. And let's get down to the soul level of loving someone else through maybe very dark times or happy times. It says they were breaking bread in their homes. This is a, the Acts 2 here is a pattern for the rest of Christianity. This is not going away. Oh man, here we go again. Here we go again. Small group. Let me just ask you something. <laughs> kinda, I think this is pretty funny at least. Do you want a doctor who tells you what you want to hear? Or one that would tell you the truth, even though they didn't necessarily want to break the news? Would you want a financial planner who just simply told you what you wanted to hear rather than the stark reality of your accounts? You don't have to like what's being said, but, or even the sayer. But understand, I'm saying this out of a heart that this is the only way for life transformation to truly happen according to the Bible. I didn't design it. I don't always like it. Sometimes I'm like, oh man, I got to go to, or this. And, but what I've noticed is when I sit down and I'm able to, in my band, look another man, because bands need to be more same sex, look him in the eyes, confess my sins, and then to have them look back at me and say, I still love you, man. Even though you did that, I still love you. That's a whole nother level of commitment to God and another. And this is why in his epistle, St. James says, confess your sins one to another so that you might be healed. If you're dealing with something, don't do it in isolation. That's not the biblical way. And I'm saying that, hopefully, as a physician in the faith, because I love you. Don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. Go to find somebody that will pray for you. Someone that will help bear the burden. Because we're not meant to do it alone. All of us are different. All our groups will be different. And yet, church is not meant to just simply be. Our small groups are not simply to be comfortable. There should be some uncomfortableness. Every time you go to the dentist or the doctor, it shouldn't just be comfortable. Somebody's lying to you. You're getting older. Some of us don't brush our teeth as well. Some of us just don't simply have good teeth. You brush them until they're about dead, but they still need some help. And 
if somebody's just tickling your ears about it, that's not a good dentist. It's not a good doctor. I want to challenge you in 2018. Find at least one other believer that you can trust and go to them and say, you know what? We need to band together. I need you. When I was in college, I came to a point where I was dealing with a certain sin and it was out of control in my life. I realized I could not control it. And I went to this friend of mine, Adam Godbold, and I said, I need you, man. I, behind the scenes, inside of here, I, this is what's going on. And I can't control it. I can't do it on my own. I need your help. And that's not the first time I've done that. Because sin is deep. Sin clings to us. It takes other people helping us in the name of Jesus to get it out. And what kind of accountability is that when you bear your soul to another? Here's the questions. If you want to know the band meeting questions, first question is this. What known sins have you committed this week? That's a tough one there, isn't it? Rarely is it zero if we have the Holy Spirit's help. Next one is, how are you doing with your relationships? Your wife, husband, friends, mom and dad, the brother that you don't like, sister you don't like. How are you doing with scripture and prayer? How's that coming along? Are you in the word? Are you praying at all for anybody? Nobody has to necessarily ask these questions once the band gets going. Everybody just bears their soul. And then the last question should always be sort of um, two, really. What is the state of your soul? Right now, what's the state of your soul? You can cover up a lot. You know, we all look nice today and stuff. But what's really going on? Are you unsettled? Anxious? Fearful? Deep unhappiness? Searching? What's the state of your soul? And then, you know, finally, did you lie about any of these? These come basically straight from John Wesley's band meeting requirements. I found life in a band meeting. I find life in our small group meetings. You don't have to do one of our preordained ones or run from the church ones, but we do offer those. You can see them on the back of our bulletin. But it's a way that we scatter. And we shouldn't just, you know, we don't need to mass together. We need to scatter for Jesus' sake into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, and into the various relationships that we have that nobody else has. When we come together as one, we forego our preferences. We adapt to the sensibilities of others, even though that's not how we live, maybe. We learn to live in peace with one another, so far as we can. And we must strive to live at peace with one another, and it ain't easy. It ain't easy. Say a good southern phrase. This is a trip as we said last week, and not a vacation. 
but it's through this trip that we'll find God molding us to be like him. Four, Jesus had a small group. (laughs) And he had a band meeting apparently with Peter, James, and John. This is his way. Not my way, it is his way. And oftentimes what we find is big things happen from very small, even minor decisions and actions. For instance, expeditions begin with one step. Some of the largest companies in our world started on a napkin sketch. Einstein's ideas, for instance, formed as he was in a Swiss patent office. Jessica and I met through a routine worship service for youth. Perhaps we could modify a maxim that you often hear, which is, go big or go home. What if we were to change that to something a little more biblical to this, go small and go home? We often want to see ourselves on the mountain, but we can't see ourselves on the plains or in the valleys that get us to the mountain. The way to the top is first through humbling ourselves and submitting ourselves to God and someone else. You're not meant to live alone. You're really not. We never were. We never were. We were created naked. Not to hide. And now, all we seem to do is hide. We quickly go into our homes, locking the doors and shutting the blinds, putting our porches on the back and not the front. These are all signs that we're closed off. What does it say about us to the world when we slip in and slip out and never make a mark on those around us? I think Jesus is calling us in 2018 to do a little more than that. Wouldn't you agree? It's a good place to insert an amen. Just at least so that people online can hear us. Anybody? They're they're like, man, uh, they really didn't agree with that. (laughs) Um, Rick Warren, an American pastor uh, in California, best-selling author, founder of Saddleback. They run about 20,000 every week for worship has famously said, the larger we get, the smaller we must be. And how true that is. We gather in mass, we scatter in batches. That's, 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 that's exactly how it's supposed to be. And you don't have to scatter where I want you to scatter. Don't. Please don't. It's okay. Make your own group. Connect with your own people. But connect with the people of God and bear your soul to one another. Don't hide. Let's stop with the hiding business. There's not going to be any hiding in heaven. This is a good place to start practicing not hiding. For hiding is a representation of sin. When they sinned in the garden, what was the first thing they do? They went and hid. No, God calls us out. Out into the light. And you know what? When you come out into the light, this is, you know, I learned this a long time ago in psychology back in college. One of the few things I remember from my psychology class. But I think she knew, I think she knew particularly where my interest was. And she told me this. She said, you know why restaurants are dim? I said, no, not really. So that you can't see the imperfections. That's why. When you come into the light, you know, like those makeup 
mirror light things. I don't know what you call them. I looked in one the other week, and I'm like, wow, I never even knew I had that on my face, right? Um, Wow. Well, when we step into the light, we're going to see some things that aren't pretty. But we're going to come to the light no matter what. No matter who you are, the scripture says everything will be brought to light. And all the secret things known. I'm pleading with you as a good spiritual doctor to say we all have secret things. Don't let anyone fool you in this room, especially me. We all have things that we deal with in here that no one else may know. Maybe we can't even articulate it. But here's the good news. Christ says, come to me. Come to me. Don't suffer in silence. Come to me and I can heal you. I can make it right. By the fire of the Spirit, he can cauterize those open, gaping wounds. By his healing knife, he can cut through the hardness of our heart. But we have to let him do it. And when we do, we'll be free. For who Christ sets free is what? Free indeed. And I believe that, and I am a testimony to that freedom. Thanks be to God and my brothers who have walked with me through sin, through bits of depression or hurt. And what special brothers they've become to me. One of them, thankfully, as John Wesley had, was his actual brother. We're called to gather, we're called to scatter, and we're called to matter. We'll talk about mattering in a couple weeks. Would you do that? Would you make that kind of commitment to Jesus? Not to me. You're like, oh, you're just trying to get the t- attendance up or something. like. No, you don't know me if that's, the, if that's the case. I hope you know that I love you is the only reason I would even bring up something like this again and challenge you, some of you who have not connected with any other believer. And you know where all this really needs to start is at home. It needs to start at home. It needs to start at home. Especially for families. You can't make it a small group. You better be having small group at home home with your kids and your husband or your wife. One of the qualifications to be a leader in the church is you got to have that home life focused on Christ. So, that's the challenge today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.